when you buy a house and you buy it under your personal name, you have more financing options. Um, but you also have more liabilities because that property is attached to your personal. So like I have a one family and then I have a two family. If something happens with my two family and I get sued for that, my personal assets like my one family and my cars are subject to that. Mm -hmm. So, but you don't want to purchase as an LLC necessarily because interest rates are higher for businesses. Down payments are higher. Yeah. So what I did was I bought my property through my personal name and then you can refinance it to an LLC. Uh so the availability mm. of the money is easier the to come by. Doki, yes. that was game. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode to In The Living Room Podcast, where we learn, laugh, and heal. And today we're going to talk about something that I think is on the top of my list. One of my favorite things to talk about, because I don't know too much about it. I, I'm honestly, I'm at a point in my life where I'm looking to, I want to, don't know how to get started. So why not bring one of the experts, one of the most credible people in the space. We're going to talk about real estate. George Casalines, the man who did over 80 million in revenue. Volume. Volume. In how many years? Um, full time, been f- uh, five years. In five years. Mm. No, no other better guest, I believe, to have on this show to help us understand a little bit about real estate or a lot of bit about real estate. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, let's clap it up for this lovely man, George Casalines, one time. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Rob, for having me. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for uh, coming down here and, uh, you know, checking me out. For sure, bro. Yeah, man. So, um, yeah, I got I got started. I got licensed really in 2014, but I was doing it part-time. I was working in government and doing real estate on the, on the side as well, which is why I was saying, like, I've, I've been able to do that type of volume full-time since, like, middle of 2016 is mm. really when I got into it, yeah. So as you get as soon as you said that I want to dive right into this. So you said you was doing a part time. Yeah. So um, of course you've been killing real estate. Right now we're in, look at this office by the way. We have my <laughs> yeah. We will get into all that yeah, by the, you know yeah. I'm in a second. So you went from being give me I want to first know your journey in real estate. Mm-hmm. But prior to you said you was doing a part time. So what were yeah. you doing before real estate? Um, yeah. So I mean I, I went to school for government really. So I did a major in political science, double minor organizational leadership and philosophy. I actually wanted to be a lawyer, um, but I tested that out. Um, did some pre legal program at uh, Seton Hall Law School. Really wasn't for me. It was a lot of like book stuff, and it wasn't a lot of interaction with people, which is really what I feel is my calling. So I ended up doing the government route. Um, so I did government, but then, um, you know, I had some free time, like it was an eight 30 to four 30 type of job weekends off. And I just kind of started doing it as a side hustle. Like a lot of us do ended up loving it, making good money in it. And then, you know, made it my full time. All right. So his relative, right? Cause when we say good money and here's what I love, how we started this episode, pay attention, how I try to say one thing. And he corrected me on what the term was because it's fucking all fabricated. I say this to get your attention, but you're going to get real value here. Yeah, yeah. So like the point with that was um, I don't want to be misleading and people think, oh, damn, you know, I'm $80 million. Like, no, mm-hmm. I mean, I've sold $80 million worth of real estate. That's what we call volume in the business. Um, so if you sell a $500,000 house, you sell two of those, you sold a million dollars in volume. So I've sold enough real estate to get to $80 million. Um, little over that now. Uh, but that that was the distinction there. Of course, the commissions is a percentage off of the volume, sure. which is still great, you know, percentage of millions is, is still great, mm-hmm. um, but it, it wasn't eighty million dollars like in my pocket. I just want to make sure we're we're good on that. Nah, I appreciate yeah. that, yeah. you know, because for all y'all clickbait, <laughs> ugly, you look like your mother's niece. <laughs> Ashy, I don't know, Ashy. bro. I, I don't know. I had to go there. Now, let me get let me get back. <laughs> let me get back to what we're talking about. So, so it's so here's what I want to know because. Um, Doing something part-time and then making a decision to leave, right? Yeah. So relative to, you know, what you made some money on the side. Now, did you, what you were making at work, did you make that part-time in real estate? Yeah, so, I mean, um, when I was full-time at the mayor's office uh, in, in the city here, I was making about 60K a year with benefits and, and you know, insurance and all that stuff. Um, so it was a great job. Uh, but with real estate, if, if you're a real estate agent, uh, on average, you can make, obviously, it depends on your office splits and, like, what the purchase price is. But on average, you could be making anywhere between seven to, like, $12,000 on any given deal. So you need six closings, and I made more than I would do, right? So uh, my first year of part-time, I did six closings. So it's like I made my salary part-time on top of the full-time, mm. right? And then when I started getting serious about it, when I quit and I went full-time, in the first three to four months, I made twice what I would have made the whole year had I continued at my job. Sick. And I think that that's one, I wanted to share that too, because I think 
sometimes we make entrepreneurship look mad sexy just because now I have this title of entrepreneur. Yep. Just for the for the public to think I'm doing something well, it was practical. You had yeah. you had a plan. Yeah, yeah. So um, I mean, and this this kind of helps me get to to the point of um, some of those real estate tips. Like something that I'm known for, I'm like an educational type of realtor. Like I'm someone who likes to teach you way more than you need to know. Um, for many reasons. One, I just in my nature, I like to help people. I like to like over explain. Um, but then secondly, it also builds a level of trust and rapport that once I have that with my client, every transaction is that much easier because every time if I'm telling you, yo, Rob, I think this is a good one. You trust me because there's no reason for me to, to not, mm. you know, to, to be facetious or to just mislead you in any type of way. Um, so when it came to like why I, I did it part time, um, I never saw myself really doing real estate all like full time because I had like a college education in, in my field of study. And this was like I was very passionate about government. Um, I was moving up like I, you know, I started my positions and I moved through my ranks pretty quickly. So I really liked it. But, you know, at some point it just became like what's better for my future, what's better for my family. Mm. I wasn't married at the time or anything, but it just became that type of like conversation um so one thing that many people don't know is in order to buy real estate you have to have a job for two years um for most traditional mortgages you have to be employed for two years uh report income from that source for two years before you can get a mortgage mm. so i was in that situation where i started my job at city hall um and i was doing well in real estate but i was like damn i want to buy my multifamily house first and if i were to quit my job right now i'd have to wait two years till I started making money in real estate for two years more. So that would have really messed up my, you know, five-year plans, my 10-year plans. So I decided to stick it through. So for those people thinking about switching jobs and potentially wanting to buy a house, make sure you stick out your two years and get it. After you close, it don't matter. I closed in my house on March 15th and I, it's March 16th. I gave my two weeks notice. I was out because all I needed to do was get my two mm. years and, and, you know, that was it. Sick. That's great advice. <clears throat> I think that, drop a bomb. I feel like, feel like <laughs> dropped the bomb right there. And leading right into it, you said you went and bought your two family. Now, yeah. <clears throat> I'm seeing things online like, you know, first thing you should buy is your, all right, let's just be real here. It's a lot going on. It's, I don't know where to start in real estate. There's buy a multifamily first, three family. I'm yeah. seeing that online. It's, you know, wholesaling real estate and stuff like that. For me, a guy like me, I want to buy my first property where, you know, I'm, and I'm trying to be selfish here, where I'm going, I want my own stuff. But I understand, you know, the 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 play to have more than, of course, one or one, one family so I can rent. It's a nigga cash flow. Yeah. But, you know, what are the stuff that we're not understanding behind yeah. getting a two-family before yeah. you get a one or whatever? Yeah, no, so, I mean... Mm. I'll hit it from different angles. I'll tell you first, like a lot of times you see these guys online that uh, <laughs> you see these guys online that you um, you'll, you'll see like, yo, come to my seminar. I'm going to show you how to do this. And they want you to like buy a ticket and stuff like that. You know, a lot of it, you know, I don't knock nobody's hustle. But to me, a lot of it is like I can give you the game right now and you don't have to pay for it. You know what I mean? And, and honestly, like you shouldn't have to. Um, what they'll tell you is technically true, but some of it is also like you got to look at the pragmatic part of it. How realistic is it in this current market? So I'll give you the technical stuff. Um, there's a program out there for first-time homebuyers called FHA. Um, it's ran by the Federal Housing Administration, which is, you know, an entity that gives you down payment options that are more feasible for the average person. So uh, regularly speaking, you have to go to a bank with 20% down, which, you know, if your average sales price is $500,000, that's 100K. So not everybody has 100K to come out of pocket. When you talk about FHA, their program allows you to do 3.5% down. That's a huge difference, right? Mm -hmm. So so right there, everybody kind of heard about that program. Um, but, and here's the pragmatic part of it, in the market, it could be really hard to get your offer accepted if you're FHA. Why? Because to the seller's eyes, you look less qualified than a competing conventional program, right? So there's a couple different criteria when you're applying for a mortgage. Um, you have credit. FHA, you only need a 580 FICO score, where a conventional, you need 620. So right off the rip, you can have lower credit and get an FHA, right? Down payment. Conventional programs typically start at 5% down, which aren't, isn't too bad, but FHA has 3.5% down, right? So that's even lower. 
um, debt to income ratio. That's another portion that people don't talk about. How much debt do you carry a month as opposed to your income? With FHA, they loan you up to a higher debt to income ratio, which means that you can afford more house than if you were to go conventional. So if you do a pre-approval with conventional, you might only qualify for like, let's say 350, but that same exact buyer can qualify with FHA for like, let's say 420, right? So you can buy more house because of the guidelines. So when a seller's looking at that, they're saying, well, the bar is lower for this buyer than for that buyer. So me as a, as a real estate agent that, yeah, I want you to get the most benefits for yourself, but I also want to make you competitive. So I have to understand those things, right? Most realtors don't. So what I do is I tell my clients, look, let's get you pre-approved for a conventional. If you qualify for conventional, but you decide to go FHA, we can mess with that, right? So I'll make your offer as a conventional. We submit it with the conventional pre-approval. But when we look at the numbers, if it makes more sense to go FHA, we can adjust it. We have to let the other party know and everything like that. But you got to get past that first hurdle. You got to get to the table, right? So it's all about how you position it. So a lot of the guys online will tell you, oh, yeah, do FHA because 3.5% down. Um, But they don't even bother to qualify you for conventional. So, yeah, technically you can do it, but then realistically, are you going to get that offer accepted, right? So that's one of those things. Um, But I bought of multifamily first because... And a lot of people will tell you, buy like a, you know, they'll say buy a four family, then a three yes. family, three, then a two, two family, and then, then the one, one is yours. Right. And why do they say that? So technically you can get multiple FHA loans, right? As long as it's always an improvement. So if you're buying a first time home and it's a four family, and then like a year later you want to buy a three family, you can make the argument to the bank, say, look, I'm going to keep this house, but I'm going to move to that one. Because it's better for me, less units, it's in a better location, more space, better schools, whatever the case might be. And then you can do it again for the two and then again for the one. Every time doing 3.5% down, right? Mm. As opposed to if you were to buy your one family first with 3.5% down and then you're like, you know what? I want to buy that three family. You got to do an investment loan, which requires 25% down. So let's just put like round numbers to kind of give it a relative. I hope you have a pen and paper. (laughs) If you're listening, play this back. If you're watching on YouTube, pen and paper. Yeah, it's it's a lot of dense stuff. um, And this is why most agents don't take the time to explain it. But I just feel like even if you don't fully understand it, I'm going to give it it to you anyway. And then at some point, you're kind of just going to look at me and say, yo, what do I do? Right. That's that's (laughs) how it ends up happening with most of my clients. (laughs) I just give you everything. You know, they're like, "Okay, you know what you're doing. What do I need to do? And then we just go from there. Uh, But essentially, let's say like, you know, and I'm just going to use 100K because it's an it's a round number. Obviously, houses cost way more than that now here in Jersey. Um, But let's say you're buying a two family for 100K and you can do 3.5 percent down because you're doing FHA. You're doing 3,500 down right now obviously at 300k you multiply that by three and and so on um you do that and then your one family let's say it's another 100k it's another 3.5 percent down so that's 3,500 so in total you've put down seven percent between both properties right whereas if you go the other way i buy that one family first i put 3.5 percent then the second time i gotta put 25 percent so now it's 25 so now it's a total of 28 percent 28.5 percent down as opposed to seven percent so that's why people tell you do it this way first. Buy the multifamily, then buy the single family. Gotcha. And that's what I did. I mean, it's a smart way to do. You you got to do it, build the equity in the time, and then you keep it as a rental property. And the idea is that it sustains itself, right, in terms of the mortgage payments, and it actually nets you some some money, some some pocket money to help you pay, the, you know, the balance of whatever your other mortgage is. That's like the general idea of, of real estate, no, like was, house hacking. That was genius. So... So give me the, so here's how I feel sometimes when I think about real estate, right? Like when you're in a no, like you understand, you can go get yourself um, really good deals, right? Yeah. Uh, but then when you are selling real estate, right? Because now here's what I really think about. I think about anyone, there's great sellers, but they know that you're getting a short end of the stick and they're doing a way where I won't understand that I'm doing that because I'm not knowledgeable, mm-hmm. right? Like the bad rep that car sales them to have. Yeah, there's yeah, really yeah. good. Any kind of, the word sales to some people yeah. is like, all right, I just feel like it's so intricate that if I don't know something, mm-hmm. you're going to get over on me. Yeah, yeah. How do you now make a, I mean, you did tell me you give the customer all the information, but give me a situation where someone came in like first time buyer, followed your, you know, your blueprint and then had success. How long did it take for them to like have some yeah, success? Yeah. Um, 
So a couple of things that I do in, in ways that I'm different than most real estate agents is that I do a lot of, uh, I work with a lot of investors. So I go to the auctions, um, you know, I get off market properties. I help investors fix and flip them. We've done new construction additions, all that stuff. So a lot of times I get houses off market. So pretty much a lot of my clients, they come to me like, yo, I, I want to do something. I try to find something that's not on the market. That's either just being renovated now or like, Hey, we just picked it up. It's going to be fixed up soon. And then I try to get you in the door before it hits the general public. Because when it hits the general public, you're competing against other people. You now you start waiving contingencies, and you know maybe you don't do a home inspection repairs the way you would have. It, it, it gets kind of crazy. So most of the times, like a lot, I can give you a lot of examples of my clients that will tell me, "Yo, I got this much, and I want to you know get a rental property." So I'll help them find a property that's being renovated, or like I have investors that. Because I do also like developments, they'll say, yo, you know what? I have a portfolio of properties. I want to liquidate like 10 properties so that I can buy and build, you know, 50 units, right? So now they got really good two to three family homes that they loved and they were making good money for them. But now it doesn't suit their purposes, but it might suit yours, right? Mm. So I'll just put out those calls and try to find something like that for you. Um, and then I'll do the numbers with you and I'll tell you, because this is the other thing that you got to understand. When you're buying a one family, it's all off of your income and your debt, right? It's just solely you. Right. When you're buying a multifamily, it's that plus the rental income. Because you can use however much that rental property is generating, a portion of that as added income when you're qualifying. So you can qualify for a lot more. Let's say you qualify for 400K for one family, you might be able to buy a 600K multifamily, depending on the property taxes, depending on the rent roll. So it's all relative. A lot of people come to me and say, oh, like I want a house at 500K. Well, you don't really know what that is. You, you, like, you're saying that, right, but you don't right, really understand. Right, right, Let me right, explain right. it to you. Like, it doesn't really you matter. Know, that's perspective. Yo, I'm yeah. going to be one right now. I'm going to yeah. be one right In my mind, when you say that, I think for the liking, like the idea of me going from, right, I'm leaving an apartment, I want to buy something. If Of course, I have investment in my mind, but I also want to buy something that I like or I feel safe. For like that 500,000 number, it's either big enough where it's neat enough and also in a safe area, mm -hmm. right? So is that also something I'm only perceiving in my mind because I'm thinking about where it would be? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's an important factor. I would say for any any buyers, because I'll, I'll flip it on you. I'll have people that come to me and say, yo, I want to spend no more than 300K, right? But if I'm trying to find you a multifamily house for 300K, man, I, like it's going to be in the worst part of the worst town, right? Uh, just, just so, so the headaches that come with that, like, if you're going to live there, you know, you get, you get your things stolen, you know, when you move out, you're going to rent it out for very cheap. The rental value is not going to hold there. You're going to have a hard time finding qualified tenants. I'd rather you buy that $600,000 house that will still probably net you the same, but with less headaches. Because, again, it's all relative. Because that six hundred k house, the rents are going to be probably $2,300. Where that $300,000 house, the rent is probably $1,200. Mm. So when you look at the monthly, you're probably paying the same amount. But in your head, you think, I don't want to spend that much. God it's damn. all relative. That, that's kind of the point that I was trying to get to. Um, the other thing is property taxes. A lot of people don't look at the property tax component. Because you can pay the same on a monthly payment if you have a $400,000 house with, let's say, $12,000 in taxes. Or if you spent $600,000 on a house, but the taxes are $8,000. Wow. How, right? Right. Okay. So you're, you're at the same time. I'm like, <laughs> your, your monthly payment is broken down into four things principal, interest, taxes, insurance. Okay. Principal and interest, that's your loan. Okay. That's, that's pretty straightforward. Has to do with your interest rate. Taxes are your property taxes. And insurance is your homeowner insurance, maybe flood insurance if it's in a flood zone, things like that. The, the tax part of it gets divided by 12. Because property taxes are an annual bill, that, and you pay it on a monthly basis, and your mortgage company pays it every quarter. So if your taxes are twelve k a year, you're paying $1,000 a month. But when you're doing the principal and interest, that's over 360 months because a 30-year mortgage. So when you're dividing the difference of $10,000 in a mortgage, it comes out to like $54 a month because you're dividing it by 360 months. Got you. Whereas when you're talking about a... A $1,200 difference in annual taxes, that's $100 a month. So property A has taxes and property B has taxes plus $1,200. Property B is going to cost you $100 more a month. And with that same $100, you could have paid $20,000 more in purchase price. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, they may have to play that back through my mindset. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
it's dense, man. It's dense stuff. The, the whole point is like, look, I understand all the facets of it, and I like to explain it. And I'll, you know, let's get a chalkboard and I'll kind of yeah, break it down yeah, for you. Yeah. But essentially, do, do the simple math. Take, you know, a mortgage at 400000 whatever interest rate, you, you know, Google today's mortgage interest rates, 400 k right? And you, you do the, the, the payment, number, that's yeah. going to be one thing. Now do 410 That payment goes up by like 56 bucks. Mm. okay? But property taxes, you divide it by 12 so if the taxes are a big difference, like $4,000 difference, divide that 4000 by 12. And however much that is on a monthly, divide that by like 54. And that's how many tens of thousands you could have paid more on the house. So I'd rather you pay more for a house in a place that has lower taxes because they probably still have higher, um, higher rents. Understood. Right? So it's a lot of those, like, the stuff that they don't tell you. They'll tell you the technical stuff. Right, you technically can do this, right. but then realistically, when you go to make those offers, it might not pan out. I'm with you. So yeah. here's a question I have now. All right, because we're seeing the market today. Mm-hmm. Um, I think post pandemic is still unpredictable times, and I still a lot of. I mean, the media is doing a fucking mm-hmm. whoever is behind the media pumping all this fear is. A miserable person. Hey, be careful. Yeah. They might classify this as a conspiracy right, podcast. Right, right, right. Like, oh, it's just, your mother still <laughs> smells like knees. You understand? <laughs> but for me, I'm going, um, okay, so now if, let's say someone watching and going, the New Year's coming, you know what happens, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The set goes, I'm buying a house. house. Yeah, I'm getting this. And it's like. La ua. Dos uas, right? 100%. The first one is the house, bro. <laughs> right. So now I'm going. <laughs> I mean, even me, I'm like, you know, I'm really at a point where I'm like, I want to, but is it the best time to, right? Yeah. Like, where understanding, because people are saying, you know, Rico told me, I mean, interest rates are all relative as well. Like, yeah. it looks scarier. When is it a good time to buy? I mean, look, if you ask any realtor, they're always going to tell you, oh, it's a great time to buy, right? Always. <laughs> right. It's always a great time to buy. <laughs> right. um, not to knock it, you know, but the, the, the realistic part is there are times that are better. But it's all relative because the best time to buy real estate is always yesterday because real estate over time always Mm. appreciates in value. So no matter when you buy it, the sooner you bought it, the better. There's not one property. You know, the the biggest um, blip was like the the most recent one was in 07, 08 when we had that recession and you saw a lot of properties drop in value. But even looking at 06, there's no property today that was worth more in like 05. I'm with you. You know what I mean? So over the span of time, properties are still going to be worth more. So I always say, if you're going to buy to hold, it's always a good time to buy so long as it cash flows. Right? Okay. So that's the main thing. Um, because look at the value of the property now, but then look at the, like you might say, oh, 10 years ago, that house was this much. Okay, but 10 years ago, the rents were also a half of it. Right? So then it, 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 you might have made the same amount of money. Or you might okay, be making nah. more. That's it's all real. relative. That's true. So, so you know, that's that's one factor. The other factor is interest rates in New Jersey, we don't have a prepayment penalty. What that means is that you could pay off your mortgage at any point, and it doesn't cost you anything. So what most people do... In other markets, if I wanted to pay my mortgage off early, I get a penalty for it? Yeah, yeah, because um, essentially... And then, like, if you do certain, like, private lending, because they don't make money on you unless you pay interest. Uh, so the longer you pay that mortgage, the more money they're going to make. Copy. So some lenders put in those prepayment penalties and say, yo... I expect to make X amount from you, but if you're going to pay off that mortgage early, then I'm not making anything. So I'm going to charge you at the time that you pay it off. So that's what that prepayment penalty is. Um, so what most people do is, look, get a deal that cash flows. As long as it cash flows, even with today's interest rates, today's rents are higher, right? So it can still cash flow. If the, if the taxes are right and the rents are right and, and you know the conditions are right, it can still cash flow. Get it now. It doesn't matter what the interest rates are because it's cash flowing with that interest rate, right? Mm. Now, right now, our interest rates are inflated because of inflation. It's kind of messed up how... <laughs> it's inflated uh, because, because of, of inflation, inflation. right? Uh, you know, in the country, we recognize that prices are high and we need to kind of like, you know, cool it off. So right. they're making it more expensive to borrow money so that people stop borrowing so much and then the purchase power, it, it, it comes back to, to a relative uh, point. But here's the key. We know that this is temporary, right? This is a play to bring things down. For sure. Once they come down, rates have to come down. That, that's how it's going to work. So people understand that as long as it's cash flowing now, get it now. And when the, they do drop, when the interest rates do drop, because they will, that's when you refinance. Mm. See, the important thing is locking in the house. So as long as it's cash flowing now or breaking even now, when you go to refinance, you're going to make more money. 
because there's no prepayment penalty. You might as well just refinance. So it's like three things that can happen. You buy the house and the interest rates stay the same. Well, now you still benefit from appreciation. You bought it soon. So now value's going up. You're paying it down. You're creating equity, right? Interest rates go up. Your rate is locked in for 30 years. So you're happy that you locked it in or interest rates come down. You refinance and then you bring down your monthly payment. So as long as the property cash flows now, it still makes sense to buy. So here's a question I have. What class of, when is there a time I classify to refinance? Is that at any given point? Is it a term? Yeah. Because in a, in a situation like that, we're like, all right, you lock me in at seven, mm -hmm. right? Now prices go down and it's at four, three. Yeah. And I'm going, well, yeah, let me get that. Yeah. Is there terms to say, well, you can't do it in a certain time? Well, or? that's what I was saying. There's no prepayment penalty. So, oh, so at any moment you could do there it. There it is. Um, yeah. But mm. it depends too. Like uh, FHA, um, they might make you wait six months. But it's also not a long time. And honestly, the way it's looking right now, it's going to be at least at six months before we come back down. And rates kind of jump. They, they've been all over the place. They were higher, then they dropped back down. Um, we have another Fed meeting coming up. And, you know, I don't know when this episode is going to air, but it's about sure. to come out. And there's probably going to be another small rate hike. And who knows what's going to happen 2023. But ultimately, by the end of 2023, we should see rates coming back down, speculatively speaking. So, so here's a question I have, because... If y'all haven't realized now, this man is uh, encyclopedia. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's wealth of information and knowledge. Um, and he says eight years. Well, you would assume this man is, he's 30 years old. That's <laughs> my point. <laughs> right? Like, how did you get start so, how do you start so early? And how do you gain this? Because obviously, you know, I've seen enough about real estate online. I can't say it because I'm not in the field, but I can tell that you know, you know, your field, where'd you learn this? What, like who in your family, did anyone, in, two questions, who taught you all this stuff? how you get here? And did anyone else in your family do real estate to kind of like get you intrigued in this profession? Um, second question. No, no, nobody in my family did it. Um, this is all something I was born in, in Cali, Colombia. Um, yeah, so I lived there till I was about seven. I came here. Uh, my dad's civil engineer. My mom was more like clerical. Um, so there was really no real estate. Um, it was when I came here, I first I got into government and politics. Like politics was really like where I started. And, and that was really my story. Um, fast forward some years once I was already working in politics and in government, um, I got put on a board. It's called a zoning board. So essentially, it, they call it like the no board. It's like if you want to do something, you can't do it. You have to come to this board to get permission to be able to do it. So quick example, I was on the zoning board for the city of Rawway. Um, there was a gym on St. George, uh, one of our highways, and they wanted to knock the gym down and build a Wawa. Well, if you look at the zoning regulations, they weren't going to be allowed to because of different things. It could be like um, gas stations are not allowed in the zone. It could be that um, they were going to be 100% lot coverage, meaning it's all asphalt, as opposed to like our code might say you need 20% grass. Like there's all these different bulk. Mm. So, you, so when you're a board member, um, you learn about this stuff and you learn about what the regulations are and then applicants come in front of you and say, hey, I want to do this, but I can't do it because your code says this. I want you to give me an exemption of variance from your code to allow me to do it. Mm -hmm. So I was one of those board members that sat up there and heard cases each time and kind of decided, OK, that makes sense. And, and, and the big criteria was like, was it good for the community? Right. right? So that's kind of what it became like, OK, well, this project is going to lead to more tax revenue for the city. This project is going to create housing that we're in desperate need of. Like right now, there's not a lot of housing in certain cities. So like if there's a project that's going to build townhomes, that might be looked favorable, right? So I started learning about like why people try to do the things that they do. Um, and then I was like, wow, that's, that's really cool. And then I started seeing how much money these developers were making, right? They would assemble even the building that we're in right now. This was assembled over some pieces of land. This was a parking lot. Where we wow. are right now was a parking lot, and it was a restaurant's parking lot, right? So you buy a parking lot from somebody, that might cost you, let's say, 200, 300 grand, mm -hmm. but then you develop 300 units, this is now worth $50 million. So how do you turn 300K into $50 million, Sick, right? bro. Right? right, so like the process of like acquisition of the land, what the actual process through the government looks like, what your odds are looking at it, when you develop it, how do you build it, what, what goes into it, the contract is like, it just fascinated me. It's just, there's such a depth into this like field um, that it just, it got me, you know, got me spinning. And then I was like, you know what? I had somebody that I knew 
they kind of talked to me about it and, and you know, kind of sponsored me into this and said, yo, I'm going to teach you how the retail side of it works. Um, so I started doing the retail. I started doing the development. Now I'm like a land use consultant for certain companies. I help them get big uh, things. I've gotten to meet some amazing people through my real estate career um, just because of that, that knowledge, my government background and politics, that, that all kind of interceded. You know, as we get here, because once you said interesting people, I can tell, first and foremost, if this man ain't top five <laughs> most interesting men you've already <laughs> learned, like on YouTube right now, all podcasts right now, on information, you're lying. <laughs> you're lying. But when we talk about meeting interesting people, yeah, with your background, like the doors are open. I, yeah. I, I, there's a story that I want to share, all right? Because I think this is one of your illest stories on yeah. real estate, and then we'll get back to other things yeah. that you want to talk about. Um, is there ever been... Because, of course, I'm hitting off to a story, but has there ever been a meeting that you felt like, am I supposed to be here? <laughs> right? Yeah, For yeah. two things, like, am I prepared to be here? Right? You ever yeah. held that, like, that, that uh, what is that called? Is it, uh, well, you don't feel like you deserve to be in a room. Forget mm. the term. But it's like imposter syndrome. Like, mm. yo, why? Is it too good for me? Mm. Um, have you ever had that? Or is it always felt like, eventually is going to get me into doors I want to be in. Um, I feel like because I, I've been very blessed throughout my life. I've had phenomenal experiences, bad experiences, good experiences, whatever it is, I've been blessed. So I've never felt like I've chased something. Um, I've, I've gotten to places through the, through the grace of God and different things. So I, I never felt like that imposter syndrome because I didn't feel like I, I went for it and got it and like maybe I'm not ready. Mm. It just happened as a consequence of my work. So it just kind of, you know, it's been these situations where like my work has just led me to some places. But I will say uh, one one particular situation um, was uh, happened last year um, where I got to sit down and actually talk with Jay-Z, uh, Hove, about, you know, real estate. It was, um, Fire. yeah, it was pretty crazy. I mean, it wasn't, obviously, I'm not going to disclose information because, you know, I'm not going to do that. I, I don't talk. Well, you feel uh, me? No, but you, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, Look, sure. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to make it. But what it, essentially what it is is that I have a very particular um, background that you're not going to find with most people. Um, part of it was my politics, um, you know, the people that I knew in government and w I worked campaigns, I, I helped get people through elected and things like that. Um, so I've, I've built those relationships. Um, other part of it was government, like understanding the process, the bureaucracy of like, okay, I want to do this on this piece of land. How do I do that? So like that, that academic understanding of it. So the relationships, the academics, and the last part is the real estate, right? It's like, well, how much is that thing worth? What are the vehicles I can acquire property through? Do I have to purchase it in an LLC? Do I have to put it in my name? Mm. You know, like what kind of financing options are, are there? Like, so, so I have those three worlds that put me in a room with Jay to talk about development. Right. Um, so that, that was a, just a crazy surreal experience. Um, you know, obviously it, it was more, uh, I was dealing more with the people that deal with that. I was, I was dealing with other people w for the real estate, but it just so happened that I had a meeting at rock nation. Um, you know, and, and Ho was there and I got to meet him and sit with him and it was just, it was a phenomenal experience. And then after the fact, you know, I spent maybe half an hour there. I was, I was at rock nation for like six hours that day. Um, and just got to like, got out of there and I was like, I was a kid that grew up in Elizabeth listening to this man's music. <laughs> right, 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 um, right. And just to come out of there, it's like, wow, this is like, life is crazy. I'm in this room because of all these things that I'm doing. So yeah, it's been, it's been those, uh, those moments that kind of like make you, wow, all the work really does speak for itself, you know? Mm. You know, there's one thing you said there, right? Um, you said life is crazy <laughs> uh, in ways that I think we can't, you know, describe sometimes and how and things like the way the chips lay sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think if I'm listening to you for the first time, I'm going, damn, who is this dude? Whole bust of success, extremely intelligent, hinted off that he got a wife. What don't he yeah. fucking got? You <laughs> know what I mean? Um, but then alongside all this success, you know, and all this glory and all the good stuff, you also face some battles. Yeah, man. They're not the average person, you know, faces I would say or yeah. comes out of so you know I know you guys can't see it on the side but I'm seeing a scar you know on your neck a battle I say a battle scar the the victor the <laughs> the, the the pose you know this pose means yeah. a lot to me um and I want to kind of go there real quick and 
talk about you know the time when you get news when you get news like you did about what you're going to share what happens to you then how does george find you know the strength to say i'm gonna go do x amount of things in what i'm doing so um i was i was 20 years old um fresh fresh out of college um and I I had started developing like just like a mass on my neck. Um, you know, I was working at City Hall, so I would wear ties, and it was harder like to put my tie on. And I started noticing. Um, first time actually, I I was getting a massage, and the masseuse was you know working my neck, and she's like, "Hey, you you got like you got like a, a knot or something? You got to get that checked out." And I was like, "Okay, you know, I'll I'll see what's up." Um, long story short, I went in. Um, I didn't have insurance at the time because I was working campaigns and I, I was I wasn't an employee. But I ended up going. Um, I w- I was able to get a job at City Hall. I got insurance and then I got myself tested and scanned and everything. And it turned out I had lymphoma, um, Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, I actually let it go for a while since I hurt because I didn't have insurance and I didn't pay attention. I was young. I didn't think it could really happen to me. That type of thing. Um, so it was staged pretty seriously. It had spread a bit. Um, so it became a pretty, um, you know, pretty bad thing where like I, I got the call from the doctor. I went in and he's like, yeah, you know, you have lymphoma. And I'm just like, uh, OK, like, you know, what do I do? And um, he's like, no, 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 I don't think you understand. Like, you know what I'm telling you? He's like, no, I get it. I got cancer. Like, mm-hmm. what do you what do I do? Like, mm-hmm. you know, let's go. I, I think the mentality for me was always just um, you have a problem. And being a very task-oriented person is like, well, where's my solution and what steps do I need to take? Um, and maybe that desensitized me too because, like, looking back at it, it was a very, like, robotic response mm-hmm. to that. Whereas, like, my girlfriend at the time and my mom, they were like, nah, like, what do you mean? <laughs> what, do, what do we need to do now? Like, you have cancer, right? But I just, I never found the point in dwelling on that it was like let's let's move past it right um so yeah man i mean through the grace of god uh i i went through my treatments i went through chemotherapy i had surgeries um you know biopsies all types of things uh radiation and i came out on top i you know i beat it i'm in remission for um about seven years now um you know cancer free thank god and yeah so appreciate it yeah, yeah thanks um but that you know that that was also like you know a mindset thing that Later on in life, I've it's served me. You know, it did bad things to me, but now it serves me because, number one, mm. everything is relative, man. Like, things could always be worse, right? So when I have a bad day, shit, I can get diagnosed with cancer today. You know what I mean? Like, right, that's always, bro. like, my metric, right? So, yeah, yeah, let's uh, yeah. not on that. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's like, it could always be worse, no, right? So sure. that, that was number one. Number two, it just teaches you to kind of, like, I know it's cliche, but like live every day like it could be your last because even though we're young, it could be your last. Right. So that that gave me that perspective. Number three is strengthened me in a way that it's just unless you've been through it, you wouldn't know. Like just just at first wrapping your head around the fact that you could die. Right. And what that does to you on a a mental level, it, it, it just I guess it changes the way you your perspective. Right. Um, and then the last thing I would say to it, it's, it, it transformed my life because I stopped doing something that was causing me a lot of stress Mm -hmm. when I was working in politics. And again, I'm not going to blame, you know, my cancer on that, but I know that that stress, that life, that was no good. You know, I was working 12, 14 hour shifts. I wasn't eating well. I was, I had 165 employees. I was just, it was hyper stress, right? Sure. Um, so I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. Mm. Um, and that really propelled me into the career of real estate where I'm like, okay, I'm always going to be working, but I'm building something for myself. So it doesn't cause that same stress. When you're, when you're really working for yourself and building for your future, you don't feel it as if you're just doing something for someone else. Hope y'all paying attention and y'all, oh my, man, George, look, so now you get through it mm-hmm. and when you, the, I keep, it's not revenue, it's value, volume, volume, I'm sorry. Are you working for yourself in particular at this moment? Are you a representative under a brokerage? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, when you first get licensed um, in New Jersey, you have to be under a brokerage. 
you can't practice real estate on, on your own. You have to be under a broker because you have to know compliance. You have to know what kind of documents you have to have, what kind of disclosures you have to give the client. When do you have to say what? Like, there's a lot of regulations. Um, so I started working for, it was a good friend of my, mine, and he still is. He was my first broker. I worked under him for six, seven years. And um, at that point, I was just a producing agent. Like, I just wanted to to do my work, right? Um, but then after a while, he decided to sell the brokerage, and he was no longer the broker, and I kind of went to test out different pastures, and I decided to get my license, my, my broker's license. After three years, you can become your own broker. Um, and I decided to partner up with a company to help me teach agents because I, I, it's too easy to get your real estate license. All it takes is two weeks, and there's a lot of realtors out there, guys, tons of them, but not a lot of them know what they're doing. And I decided, I was like, you know what? I want to help people. This career has transformed my life. I want to teach people how to do it right. And then, in by extension, you help families. You help people like yourself to not get taken advantage of by a salesman, right? Just as, you know, like, I don't see myself as a salesman in real estate because I'm not really trying to sell you a property. I'm trying to help you meet your goal, whatever that goal is. So I'm not, I'm not looking at, whoa, I'm going to sell you that house. No, you want a house that fits this criteria and does this for your life. Mm-hmm. Let me go out there and help you find it and, and put you together. So I want to get that mentality and teach it to people. So I partnered up with a company called Lifestyle International Realty. We're, uh, we're based out of Florida. We have 22 offices now. I just opened this brokerage here in Rawway. So this is our second office in New Jersey. Um, I'm also a partner in a Jersey City office that we're about to open. Um, so I've, you know, kind of fell in love with this company and the things that it can do uh, and partnered up with them. So I'm the broker here at this office. I have 65 agents under me right now. Uh, we just opened up our doors less than three months ago. Um, and, and that's kind of what I'm doing. I am doing my own production and helping my investors and helping buyers like yourself. Mm-hmm. But I'm also helping my agents to help families and, and do things like that. So before I used to do my open my own open houses, now I give my listings to my agents to do the open houses so they get their own buyers. So that that's kind of how my business has changed. Um, I just want to let you know, you know, he said that very casually. You know, I got 65, <laughs> uh, broke. Like, you know, like the man is a power. So here's what I, so here's what I want to do, right? Because if I'm listening to you, right, I'm going, this motherfucker is just too smart. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and in a good way to say, one, if you learn the knowledge, then this this got to be available, especially if you're willing to share it. But also, how do you structure your day when, you know, f- when I look at someone who does a lot, uh, but still carries youth and has time to do a podcast and stuff like this, so I appreciate your time. It's how do you structure your day? Because here's what I see happens not only with the working person, it's some of us really don't understand what can be done in time and don't value time. Yeah. No, for sure. I think that's one of the most radical things that will change your level in any business that you do, whether it's real estate or anything. It's when you realize how much of an asset your time is and what do you do with assets? You got to protect them, right? So the way you distribute, I started looking at my time is like, okay, you, I need to do, you want me to do this appointment. What does that do for my goals? That's how I started looking at everything. Whereas before, you know, we were young and like, you just kind of go with the flow. Like your boy hits you up. Yo, what up? All right, I'm going to just kick it. You know, whatever. And look, that can still give you value. If one of your goals is to foster better relationships, that kicking it is going to help you with one of your goals. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a matter of priorities, like setting your priorities straight of like, what, what are the things that I want for my life? When I see myself in two years, three years, five years, where do I want to be? And what kind of priorities and goals do I have to have to get there? And then every single day when you get faced with a request for your time, you got to weigh it up against that. So that's kind of how I function my day where it's like, okay, I have different companies. So like I was telling you, I'm a broker here. So we have a company here. I'm a realtor. So I have my company for that. I own investment properties. So I have a company for flips. I own rental properties. So I have a company for that. Um, I have a consulting company for developers. So I have that. I have another company for um, lab testing. So it's like a logistics company. So I do different things. And nah, give me one more. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, so essentially like all those different things are like, okay, I've established myself and I say, these are my different revenue streams. These are the different things that are going to get me where I want to be. As long as what that request of time fits into any of them, it's worth my time. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't, then I don't do it. That's mm-hmm. kind of how you have to look at it to, to, okay. Know. Cause you, that was, I saw an umbrella. Like what I saw was you 
and then this, and then it's because here's the here's the catchphrase: multiple streams of income. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You need multiple streams of income, right? Yeah. Yo, because I got multiple streams. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I got multiple. Th- <laughs> but you don't really got one. Here's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what time frame does it take for George to then become this umbrella? Did you? How long did it take? Or is it because, all right, it just made sense to open up a business account instead of putting it personal? How do you become this thing with so many sources and be effective and not feel like you move too soon? Like, if I'm a realtor here, I feel like I I would miss out on money if I went and did, like, another company in the meantime. Yeah, there's definitely a a balance to it. You could definitely move too quick and then mess it up. I I think, um, what was my first company? From these, my first company was my... My rental properties uh, company. So, I, you know, I, when you buy a house is a, is a good tip for real estate. When you buy a house and you buy it under your personal name, you have more financing options. Um, but you also have more liabilities because that property is attached to your personal. So, like, I have a one family and then I have a two family. If something happens with my two family and I get sued for that, my personal assets, like my one family and my cars, are subject to that. Mm. So, but you don't want to purchase as an LLC necessarily because interest rates are higher for businesses, down this is, payments this are higher. Yeah, so what I did was I bought my property through my personal name and then you can refinance it to an LLC. Um, so the availability of the money is easier to come by. Doki, yeah. that was game. <laughs> yeah, that, that was fucking game, bro. And, and there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, mm. Obviously, the liability component to it. Um, also, when I when I refinance that property, that monthly mortgage leaves my personal name and goes into my LLC. So now that doesn't appear on my debt to income ratio. So if I want to buy another property, when you run my credit, I don't have that mortgage because I don't pay that mortgage. My entity pays that mortgage. It has its own revenue stream, its own cash, right? Its own credit, everything. Um, so that that was one thing. The other thing when it comes to refinancing properties, and this is one of the biggest real estate hacks that. Um, you know, a lot of people have heard of like the Burr program. It's a buy, renovate, rent, refinance. Um, and it's a cute cash phrase name. Uh, but essentially, there's a way that you can create money almost out of thin air with real estate. Um, and it's based off of value. So let's say you have, and again, I'm going to use 100000 because it's easier to do the numbers. Let's say you buy a house at $100,000 and you did it with a 5% conventional loan. That means you put 5K down and you bought that house. So you now have a mortgage of ninety five thousand, mm-hmm. right? Now let's say that when you bought that property, you bought it in a location that is strategic, meaning it might be close to a train station, it might be in a city that's doing some developments. You know, every city has master plans, and every once in a while they create redevelopment areas. So if you're privy to this information, you know that a, a certain area is going to change. So that's what I did in 2016. I bought my house in Rawway when I was on the board, knowing that I'm approving all these apartments, and this place is going to be a whole different place in five years, right? So I bought my house right here. I think I got it for like 190 at the time. It was with the renovations and everything. It was like 240. It was worth like 300. So I had equity built into it. But then you fast forward six years, that same house is worth six forty. So just just because of what's happened around it, my house has appreciated. And there's also force appreciation. So you can buy that hundred thousand dollar house and you can renovate the kitchens, you can paint the bathrooms, you can paint things up, and now you can force an appreciation where the comparables actually say, Well, that house is now worth one fifty. It's the same house, and it could be a span of six months, mm. but you force appreciate it because you made it look like the houses that are worth that. Now what happens? You bought it at hundred. You owe 95 on it, but now it's worth 150. When you go to refinance, it's off of the value, not the purchase price. So when you refinance and a bank gives you up to 70, 75% loan to value ratio, that means they'll give you up to, let's say, 70% of 150. So that would be um, 70% of 150 is 45, 105. So they give you like $105,000, right? So you pay off with that 105, you pay off the mortgage that you had of 95, and you just create a 10K. So essentially, you take all of your money out, and it gives you money back. You still own the property; it still reno- um, gives you that revenue, that rental revenue. But now you took 10k. Now you use that 10k, and you put a down payment on another one. Because remember, I'm I'm talking about a hundred thousand. It's obviously more than a hundred thousand. Sure. My down payment wasn't five thousand. Mm. The cash out is in ten thousand. It's all multiplied, you know, five times. For sure. So you can actually create infinite returns. That's like that phrase where, like, essentially, it, let's say I. Ha- 
I have 10K invested in a property and it's generating for me $1,000 a year. That's a 10% return on my investment. Sure. But what if I have nothing invested in it? Because I refinanced out. I took my money out. So what's a number divided by zero? It's infinite. Infinite. Get it. So my returns are infinite on that property because I don't have any money left in there. So that's the idea. And when you have the value and you create that force appreciation, you take that money, you do it again. And all the while, you're getting the tax benefits of your write-offs. You're getting the liability uh, protection for it. You're getting the equity bill to it. You have things that you own. There's a lot to it. You know, now I start thinking about my kids, right? So I want to take that and I want to take the rental revenue from this and put it into a trust. And then that trust is going to be invested in an index that's going to make returns for me. And when they turn 18, that's their college fund. That's their travel the world fund, right? Those are the types of things that real estate opens you up to because it's not about sales. It's about the world of real estate. It's the biggest wealth generator that we have and people don't take advantage of it. And that, and I feel like that's my like duty, if you will, is to like help people take advantage of it. You know, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) (laughs) like, like, look, the, not only the knowledge, but the compassion, like if you can't see and feel it oozing out of him, like let him know uh, where to find you, what platforms to find social media. Um, if someone, you know, if I was doing real estate, this would be the first place I want to shop if you're taking any new um, representatives. Yeah, yeah. Uh, things like that. But, you know, bro, I'm ready to buy a house, bro. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? So, I'm going to do buy a consultation for you. I'm with it. So that's one thing. Like, if you're looking to buy a house, the first thing I do is I sit you down. I don't just go and show the house. Like, a lot of agents, they'll do that. They'll just open the door and go. I need to sit down with you first, and I want to explain to you what's the process like. All right, we make an offer, it gets accepted. You sign this, is it binding? Do you get attorneys involved? When? Are we going to have an inspection? How many times do we get to look at it? Like, there's all these different things. I want to explain that process to you first, and then I also go over the costs. Because that's one thing that I feel like agents don't do enough. They let you get hit with that sticker when you're emotionally committed to the house. And that's messed up in my opinion, because like, say you fall in love with the house, and then you get that price tag, you're like, yo, this is how you're paying. You're like, whoa. I wasn't expecting that. That's a really bad, like, feeling. And and for me, it's all about relationships, you know? It's all about, like, trying to have a good relationship. So me doing this, I'll sit down with you, I'll explain everything to you, and then we take it from there. Um, So, look, my my Instagram is CastellinsNJ. You'll see it below. My phone number is there. You can always reach me. Um, If you're a buyer, myself or one of my agents will help you out. If you're a seller... Yeah, my has the <laughs> office number right here. If you're a seller, you know, that's kind of where I specialize and I help people do a, a lot of like development. So if you're if you have a house and you want to do an addition to it, I know construction code. I have contractors. I can get you good deals on that, right? Um, I worked at the tax assessor's office before, so I used to defend tax appeals from the city. And most people don't know this. You can appeal your taxes. So if you're paying, let's say, $11,000 of property tax and you think your property taxes are too high, they might be too high and we can actually appeal them. So I used to do that from the city side, defending. Now I do it for the private side, and I help my clients get their taxes down, right? So I can help you with all that. Um, you know, if, if, if you have, like, a couple pieces of land and you think, hey, you know, I, I think I could build a four-family here, I can help you look at the zoning ordinance and tell you, yeah, you know what, I think we could do that. Or, no, it's not allowed because of this, or I can overcome it with that. So there's a lot of things I can help you do. Uh, you know, I consider myself somebody's real estate partner. Anything you want to do with real estate, we can help you do. Ladies and gentlemen, Please, honestly, genuinely from the bottom of my heart, if you don't hit that subscribe button after what this man did, your mom's knees, bro. <laughs> Ashy. <laughs> In the Living Room Podcast, where we learn, laugh, and heal. That was amazing, bro. Yeah, bro. Thank you for Appreciate having me. Appreciate it. That is a motherfucking episode, bro. Thank you, thank you, thank you.